You're listening to the 10-Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. In last week's podcast, we took a look at the airway and the trauma patient and how you should go about approaching it from a basic perspective. This week's podcast will take a little bit more in-depth look at things such as suctioning, positioning your patient, as well as when to, and just as importantly, when not to use or consider drug-assisted or rapid-sequence intubation. Luckily for both you and your patients, most of the time the airway can be managed with simple skills. It's important for you to weigh the benefits versus the risk of when you're moving to more advanced skills in equipment and maintenance of the airway. The use of simplest tools that are of the most effective of the situation will generally be the best for your patient. The trauma patient that is coupled with an altered mental status and being in a supine position that has copious amounts of facial bleeding can be one of the most difficult challenges in airway maintenance that you'll face. The ability to use suctioning in an effective manner can determine whether your patient survives or not. The biggest challenge that you'll need to keep in mind when suctioning is causing your patient to become hypoxic because of extended time of suctioning. I wish there was some way I could tell you of a fixed amount of time to suction, but much of that will depend upon the amount of blood or vomitus that your patient is producing. The use of pre-oxygenation when suctioning will help to offset any of the hypoxemia that may develop. If you're able, even if your patient is on a backboard, roll the patient over to their side and let gravity be your friend. This will help much of whatever fluid is in the patient's airway to exit the mouth and not wind up in the lung. If your patient has massive amounts of bleeding and vomiting, don't waste your time using a soft suction catheter. Get the largest hard catheter that you can find that will move the most fluid from your patient's airway. When suctioning your patient, remember the steps. First, pre-oxygenate your patient by administering 100% oxygen. Next, insert your catheter without the suction being applied. This helps to reduce the amount of hypoxia that the patient may experience as well as if you're using a soft catheter, the catheter may adhere to soft tissue on the way in if suction is applied. Lastly, as soon as you're finished suctioning, reoxygenate your patient. Beware of hyperventilation for the reasons that stated earlier in this lecture. In addition to bleeding and vomiting, there are a number of other issues that may come up that make it difficult for you to manage the airway of your trauma patients. Some of these include patients who have short necks and large tongues. One way of minimizing the negative effects of the large tongue size is using an endotracheal laryngoscope blade that's wider than normal. This helps to lift and move the tongue up and out of the way. One method of identifying whether a patient may be difficult to intubate is by the use of the Malin Patty score. To do this, it works best if your patient is sitting upright with a head in a neutral position. Keep in mind that this will rarely be the case with your trauma patients. Have your patient open their mouth and stick their tongues out. Look at the structures in the back of the throat to see how clearly they are able to be seen. In a class 1 malampotty, the best of all of them, it exists when you're able to see all the structures of the soft palate, including the uvula. A class 2 is present when you're able to see the uvula, but none of the soft palate. A class 3 and you're able to only see the base of the uvula from where it attaches. A class 4 exists when no structures are available and is the most difficult indicator of all. On rare occasions, you may be called to medically induce your patients so that they are sedated, paralyzed, and intubated. 
And a person who is proficient in this practice is a safe tool to use. However, and I must stress this, this should be practiced on a regular basis. You should review the drugs and the administration protocols in order not to make a bad airway situation even worse. The use of pharmacological agents to assist in the intubation process falls into two categories. One is called drug-assisted intubation, or DAI, and the second is called rapid sequence intubation, or RSI. Let's take a look at each of these. The use of medications such as midazolam, fentanyl, or diazepam are used with the goal of relaxing your patient enough to allow you to introduce the intratracheal tube into the trachea. The purpose is to relax the patient, but not to cause the protective mechanisms of the airway to be negated. In rapid sequence intubation, or RSI, the patient is first sedated. The paralytic agent is then administered to the patient that causes muscle paralysis and removes the patient's ability to protect his own airway. Some studies have shown that patients tend to be hyperventilated more with this procedure, leading to a poor outcome. Other studies show little or no difference between this and other methods of airway maintenance. More study is needed. Indications for either a drug-assisted intubation or a rapid-sequence intubation, including those patients who are in need of a secure airway and are combative because of a head injury or severe hypoxemia. You must be confident as well as realistic in your assessment of your ability to intubate the patient if you're going to go this route. Failure to be able to manage the airway can lead to hypoxia as a result of aspiration or death from hypotensive crisis. The drugs that you will administer to do this are almost all universal in the side effect of causing a drop in the patient's blood pressure. The following is the protocol approved by the Kentucky Board of Emergency Medical Services for the use of drug-assisted intubation or rapid-sequence intubation. Please refer to the Board of EMS website for more details on this protocol. Keep in mind that it is a restricted protocol and providers must be pre-approved by the board prior to doing this procedure. First, make sure that you have all the equipment that you're going to need to accomplish the procedure, including suction. Establish an IV of at least the size of an 18-gauge. All patients should be on end-tidal CO2 monitoring. Pre-oxygenate your patient in an attempt to raise the pulse ox up to 94% or higher. Administer lidocaine 1.5 milligrams per kilogram IV push to any patient who is suffering from a head injury, stroke, or hypertensive crisis. Your patient is going to be given a drug administered at 0.01 milligrams per kilogram of verconium to help with decreasing the muscle fasciculations that come about as a result of some of the drugs. Fasciculations are slight tremors. In RSI, sedate the awake patient with automidate with a 0.1 to 0.3 milligram per kilogram IV push at a maximum of 20 milligrams or midazolam, 0.1 milligram per kilogram IV push with a maximum of 5 milligrams. Use lower doses than the hypotensive patient or the elderly patient. Sedation drugs can be emitted in the unconscious patient, but please make sure that your patient is truly unconscious. Paralyzed with succinylcholine, the dose is 1.5 milligrams per kilogram IV push in adults and 2 milligrams per kilogram IV push in children. Flush the IV with 10 cc's of IV fluids following any drug administration. If you're using drug-assisted intubation, 
Sedate the patient with a tomidate at 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams of IV push at a maximum of 20 milligrams, or midazolam at 0.1 milligram per kilogram IV push. Again, follow the drug administration by flushing the line with a bolus of IV fluid to make sure that the drug gets into the central circ- circulation. In the past, the Selic maneuver was a favorite of paramedics to either occlude the esophagus or to reduce the potential for vomiting to bring the trachea into view. Research shows that it's really not very effective. It might even make it more difficult for the person doing intubation to see the trachea. One of the big challenges of paramedics in intratracheal intubation is verification that the tube is indeed in the right place. One study showed that one out of four tubes were in the esophagus. Especially with the availability of entitled CO2 monitoring, this is inexcusable. But the methods of tube placement verification include direct visualization of the tube as it passes the cords, seeing the chest rise and fall with each ventilation, presence of bilateral breath sounds in four areas over the chest. Fogging of the endotracheal tube is no longer a reliable sign as this can occur even if the tube is in the esophagus. Occasionally, you may need to perform a needle cricothyrotomy. In this procedure, a long needle is placed into the cricothyroid membrane and into the trachea. This is not effective for long-term ventilation as it does not allow for effective exhalation. Because of this, carbon dioxide levels will continue to increase. It is a short-term measure. The surgical cricothyrotomy involves the surgical incision in the cricothyroid membrane. This should be the last tool that you use in your airway toolbox. Most paramedics will only do this once or twice in their careers. PEEP, P-E-E-P, is an abbreviation for positive end expiratory pressure. This method of ventilation keeps a certain amount of airway pressure in the alveoli at the end of exhalation by means of a mechanical ventilator or other device. The purpose of PEEP is to increase the amount of gas, specifically oxygen, remaining in the lungs to reduce the amount of blood that is shunted through the lungs and increase gas exchange in the alveoli. One side effect of PEEP is that it may lower the blood pressure. You should also not be using PEEP in patients with head trauma. As the pressure in the thoracic cavity increases, so will the intracranial pressure. Taking care of trauma patients with airway issues will be some of the most challenging patients that you'll ever have to manage. Between structural defects accompanied by fluid overload, such as blood or vomitus in the airway, You'll feel like you'll need to clone yourself in order to have enough hands to do everything that needs to be done. The key here is not to get overwhelmed. Begin with your basics and remember the end goal of trying to keep the airway patent. Use the least invasive successful tools that will work. Be persistent when you have these patients and never ever stop practicing your airway maneuvers. Proficiency is not gained by one time.